Hello, I'm Damien Venuto. It's July 22nd and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. When euthanasia legislation was first passed, critics worried that it could result in a slippery slope of people choosing to die. But a new report suggests that that hasn't been the case at all, and that New Zealand's laws might in fact be a little too restrictive. So are the laws working as they were initially intended, or do we need to broaden the scope to give more people access to this procedure? To help answer these complex ethical questions, today I'm joined by NZ Herald social issues reporter Isaac Davison. Isaac, we have a new report that sheds light on euthanasia. So how many people have had the procedure in New Zealand since it launched seven months ago? So since November, when it became legalised in New Zealand, we've had a total of 143 people who have gone ahead with the procedure. So that's a rate of about four or five a week that are getting approved, getting the prescription and going ahead and having the lethal dose. So that's roughly in line with what we've seen overseas. You often get a bit of a sort of front loading or a bit of a glut to talk about it at the beginning because there's people who have been waiting to get approval. Mostly older people, the biggest bracket is sort of 65 to 85 in terms of those who are applying and going ahead and getting it, and mostly Pakeha. And again, that's in line with what we've seen overseas. So nothing out of the ordinary there. And that's out of about 400 applications of people who have um, sought to die so far. How does that weekly rate compare to international standards? That's more or less in line. I had a look at figures around Victoria, the Australian state of Victoria, which brought its own regime in in about 2019. And that is about equivalent um, and similar with Oregon and other similar jurisdictions to us. That's about a similar rate here. Do you ever feel like you're going to burn out witnessing death after death after death? So that was, a, that was a concern at the beginning. Certainly my colleagues in Europe um, were very vocal about uh, the caution that anybody who does this should take, to take time off after every event, to make sure that I had colleagues and, and, and loved ones I could speak to, that make sure I had the supports I needed. I have certainly spoken to my colleagues across the country. There is early qualitative data showing that those of us who do this work, well, we find it profoundly meaningful work. Looking at the report and the numbers, is it fair to say that those initial fears that many had about euthanasia haven't really come to light? It's important to know it's very early days. We've just got six months of data at the moment, so it's hard to get the sort of nuances of the system. But we can have a look at whether some of the more headline-grabbing arguments against legalisation have played out so far, like the idea that it would be death on demand um, and you might get a real rush of deaths That just hasn't happened. Another one that was raised during the debate on the bill was that people will be dead by the weekend, that they could get a terminal diagnosis on a Wednesday, apply, go through all the steps and be dead by Saturday. And that was because in our legislation, we don't have what's known as a cooling off period. So other countries have about a 10-day period when you first apply. And that's designed to basically stop people from uh, making rash decisions about assisted dying, you know, choosing to die when they might be in a low point. New Zealand doesn't have that legislation, but now that we look at the data, no one is dying by the weekend, so to speak. It's taking an average of about three weeks from when someone applies with their GP or their doctor through to the moment of death. It's been about three weeks. The ministry is telling people that they should expect about a four or six week wait. 
So those more sort of dramatic arguments against it have not stacked up so far. In that three to four week period, we're also seeing that some people are being declined the procedure. So what are some of the reasons that people are being declined? Yeah, I think that's an important one because while everything's gone seemingly as expected, there is a relatively high rejection rate. So I calculated about 15% of people have been turned down for assisted dying. There are fairly ordinary reasons, you know, if they're not New Zealand residents, uh, if they're not the right age, then they just don't qualify automatically. But a large number have been turned down because they don't meet the criteria and more than half don't meet the criteria of having a terminal illness which is likely to kill them or likely to die from within six months. That's what's really stopping people from uh, getting access to this procedure. And uh, important to note that New Zealand has a relatively strict regime. So that is where people are getting caught up when they're seeking the service. Given that there is such a long lag between the initial application and then receiving the procedure, we have also seen some cases of some people dying while waiting to receive the procedure. Is it worrying that we have these deaths before people are able to receive the procedure? Yeah, I was talking to David Seymour about this, the architect of the bill, and he considered those tragic cases. But he also made the point that if people were dying sort of too quickly, um, then you might be concerned about whether it was a rush system. And I think that's worth considering. I think it probably reflects the fact that people do have to be very sick, very ill to qualify for assisted dying. And so it's really the nature of the system we created that some people will die before they get to the due date. It's also really important to note as well that some advocates for assisted dying saying it's just enough to know that they have that option doesn't necessarily mean they've had a cruel death or not had it the way they want. Just having that approval to know that they may be able to die in their time or in their own way, that that gives them enough peace. So it's not always a tragic thing when someone dies before their what's called their due date. If at the end of my life it's too painful or too grisly that I can now avail myself of assisted dying, I may not need it, but what it means is that I can, if I want to, and my family can be with me. There have also been four complaints lodged against the Ministry of Health over the handling of some cases. Do we have any details on these complaints and what those people found worrying about the system? Very little detail. So if anyone, a person going through the process themselves or a family member uh, has any concerns, they can make a complaint in several ways. And we now know that there's been four complaints upheld and three of them have been resolved. They were quite small things around a GP's demeanour or communications, that sort of thing. One of the cases is a bit more serious. It was from a family member. Their relative had an assisted death within a public hospital And it was their experience of that death that led them to make a formal complaint. It's been upheld by the ministry and sent on to the Health and Disability Commissioner. So that is a bit more serious. And I guess we'll have to wait to see what their investigation concludes to know any more detail. They're one of a few groups where complaints can go. They can also go to police as well. But we should also note There haven't been actual breaches of the law so far. So that's, I guess, some reassurance after six or seven months. New Zealand does have some of the strictest euthanasia laws in the world. So is there any concern at the moment that we are perhaps denying some people the right to the procedure when they should be receiving it by international ethical standards? 
Yeah, that is one of the themes that came through in the ministry's sort of first annual report on it on this first six or seven months. One of the main themes of feedback was that people had expected it to be not this strict, that they had been turned down, and certainly that ineligibility rate suggests that a few people are being turned away. It's important to note that this piece of legislation was initially broader the definition was if someone had a grievous and irremediable condition that they would get access to assisted dying. So that might mean someone with motor neuron disease could get approval, but that was narrowed in scope. David Seymour says he agreed to narrow it partly to get the Green Party on side to make sure the bill would actually pass. So there is some discussion now around whether it needs to be broader and whether it's too restrictive. Um, It'll be reviewed in 2024, so I'd expect there may be a bit of pressure on Parliament then to look at whether it needs to be broader. David Seymour has said that he does want to see the law broadened. So what what specific changes would he like to see incorporated? The one big failing, he told me, was that it did have this narrow scope. So his ideal would be the original definition, which is a bit broader around grievous and irredeemable conditions. There was concerns raised at the time from a few groups that it was just too vague and that you may fall into a place where that may capture someone, say, with mental illness. That was disputed, but that was one of the concerns. It's very early days. I mean, sometimes you only really start getting good data after five or ten years. So I would say it's quite early to be talking about any major amendments to the law. How strong do you think public support would be for any decision to broaden the law or any moves to broaden the law? It's hard to tell. There was obviously large support for the bill as it's come through. 65%, of course, voted in a public referendum. So we have a really good understanding of that there is support broadly for voluntary euthanasia. It's less certain whether that support would extend to a broader regime. I think people get a bit more nervous when they hear that legislation could apply to people with mental illness. Maybe trickier to diagnose and understand the definition at the moment. I think people are quite comfortable with the rigidity of it. I think once that starts getting a bit blurrier, it's difficult to tell whether that really overwhelming majority support would stay. Palliative care is all about caring for people and relieving suffering. That's what I do as a palliative medicine doctor. And I stand with the palliative care nurses, New Zealand, hospice New Zealand, and the palliative medicine doctors in New Zealand, all deeply concerned about the risks that this act has in it. Isaac, when you do look at any moves to broaden the law, The debate of the slippery slope once again raises its head. So could you just let us know what people are saying about the potential of a slippery slope and whether that has any potential of coming to fruition? It was probably the most high-profile argument against legalising euthanasia when it was debated. Slippery slope is the idea that by creating availability to assist the dying for a small group of people, that it will inevitably grow larger and larger to a larger group of people. I think that argument will come up when this talk about broadening the law comes about. But just in my opinion, I think it's important to note that a slippery slope suggests something is inevitable, that we're just sliding in an out-of-control way into it. But If there were any changes to the legislation, they would require a lot of checks and balances. It would require legislative change, another round of public consultation, a parliamentary vote. And in my view, that's not just slipping into something that is quite deliberate, transparent sort of reform. 
The other thing that's quite interesting is that when Canadian doctor Stephanie Green visited New Zealand to talk about euthanasia in 2019, she said that the reluctance of doctors to conduct the procedure meant that many people weren't able to receive it in Canada. So is there concern in New Zealand, given that 1,000 out of 5,000 doctors previously signed a petition opposing the legislation, is there a risk that there simply aren't doctors in some areas who are willing to conduct the procedure? Yeah, definitely a risk. So far, uh, 130 uh, doctors or nurses or medical staff have signed up in New Zealand, which sounds like a low number, but the ministry says it's been sufficient for demand so far. There are those gaps in the system in rural areas in terms of, you know, you need to have a doctor to give you approval, then an independent doctor to give you approval. So there are some gaps, but I think those really reflect larger healthcare staffing issues rather than specifically a euthanasia problem. One interesting thing about this is that in New Zealand, the doctors can do the assessments via Zoom or telehealth, as it's called. That's not possible in some other countries because that's considered, if you do it over a phone or over Zoom, that's considered aiding and abetting suicide. So they do have the freedom to do that in New Zealand. But from my understanding, a lot of doctors are preferring it to do it in person anyway and are going over and above. They're going um, you know, five-hour round trips out into the regions to do these consultations. One more thing on that is there's often a big dropout rate as well. You get a bunch of doctors that sign up and then after the experience of maybe giving someone a lethal dose, they drop out and that hasn't happened in New Zealand yet. And they put that down to the fact that they did a lot of training first and tried to prepare them for it as much as possible. Looking at the report and also the response from patients and the community, do you believe that the legislation is working as it was initially intended or do you think that there is a need for it to evolve a little bit further? I think it is so far. It's in line with predictions in terms of numbers, uh, the sort of people applying. I think people expected as well that people would miss out just given that the bar was set very high. I think it's really important to note that we're so early and a lot of the stuff just won't be apparent yet. In particular, I'm thinking about how it works with palliative care, how it intersects issues around uh, how it works for Maori. Of course, most euthanasia uh, systems are set up in white Western frameworks and there's not much experience of euthanasia and how it might apply to Indigenous cultures. That's another important one. And also its impact on disabled community. Obviously, you know, a person can't apply for assisted dying in New Zealand on disability alone, but just the existence of assisted dying legislation in New Zealand does make some people in the disabled community very nervous because they feel it places a different value on people's lives. So yeah, there's quite a few things to look out for just as this legislation grows older, which just aren't apparent yet. Thanks so very much for joining us today, Isaac. Cheers. Thanks, Damien. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson and edited by Paddy Fox. I'm Damien Venuto. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.